Hey everybody, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott here. And Richie. And welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. And uh, yeah, back in the studio, Richie's made another appearance so we can do a little bit of discussion before we get into the interview with this week's guest. How you doing, man? I'm good. It's good. It's good to see you. It's, uh, it's been a few weeks. It has. And it's just, it's just not months. I don't know. Even, I think even with all the crap going on, it just even a couple of weeks, it just seems like it's freaking ages, you know? <laughs> and what's even weirder is that with, with all the like the live kind of nothing going on, it still seems like there's lots to talk about, which in a way is good, but yeah. it's, it's just kind of bizarre. Yeah, well, when you, when you, when you say lots to talk about, if you, if you want to hear musicians' opinions on politics and all that, there's a lot to talk about, but I, I, we're not going to talk about that here. No, no, screw that. I'm not interested. I, I, I barely follow it regularly, so I don't, really don't uh, and And I just, yeah, anyways, moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's good to see you, man, and and you know, lots going on, and uh, I know you had mentioned about, um, you know, asking about the whole uh, Metallica drive-in deal. Yeah, you, so you went, I went, yeah, me and Nikki went, and uh, it was good. We went out uh, to the the one out by her because we could have done either the Milford one up here or the the Menden one out by her. So we decided to go to Menden, and uh, we did the we did the VIP so we could get in there early. Pick whatever spot you wanted, and she had already done her uh, reconnaissance the week before, and talked to the one of the guys that worked there to be like, "Where's the best spot to park?" and all that. So she had already done the whole recon in uh, typical Nikki fashion, and so 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 here, I'm, I'm trying to picture this right. So uh-huh. Are all the cars at the gate, and the minute they open the gate, like you all run in to try to get a front row seat? Like well, it, the, you, all the cars just go. go. <laughs> well, with the, with the VIP, it was kind of messed up too because the show didn't really start till eight thirty. But they had VIPs had to get there for five thirty. But they had all the they had the the bar open and they had the snack bar open and all that stuff. So there was there was a pretty good wait. But and they didn't sell a lot of VIP. They could have sold more VIP tickets than they than they did. The VIP sold out, but there weren't like a ton of us there for VIP. And it's two screens and they played it on both screens. Let me back this up, right? Yeah, this is a Metallica live show that's mm-hmm. been recorded. Yes, or it's a live stream. It was recorded just for this, so it's not a stream, but they they set this up specially. Recorded to do where this. now? In in an in, inside in a studio? No, or in a park, of- in a parking lot somewhere in the vineyard country of California. Literally, they were on a parking lot at up night on a hill. with lights. Yeah. Okay. It started at dusk, and as it went on, it got darker and darker. But you could see the whole the valley and the vineyards behind. And them. How big but a stage were they on? Was they, it like they were in a parking lot? They okay. were on gravel. Oh, so no stage. No stage. Okay. They just had trusses behind with minimal lights. Pyro? Nope. No pyro? No. It was it was pretty bare bones. I mean, even to the point that, you know, after three or four songs, they'd kind of walk off and talk to the crew and get a guitar. And it was it was, it was was an interesting way of seeing them. Uh, but all, you know, really good set. And, uh, you know, they like I said, they did it specially for this. So, um, you know, they talked about, you know, thanking you for being there and, and all that and, and doing the experience. And, you know, as far as, because Three Days Grace was the opener and they did... Uh, they had an a, opening band? Yeah, but they did a small set wow. in a studio. They were live, but they were in a studio. So it was like two separate things. 
that they did. Yeah, so it was it was a long night of stuff, and yeah, sound was pretty good. We had we had a blast. You know, they did. Like I said, it was they didn't sell many uh, VIP. They were sold out, but they didn't they didn't have a lot of them. So there wasn't like a line to at the you know rush to the barrier kind of a deal. We just kind of oh yeah, kind of strolled in and 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 you know it was like okay yeah we're gonna we're gonna go here and great and set it all up and then but once we were kind of all in there for a while then you could just see the line going out the driveway and down the street of everybody else waiting to get in now when when does concert starts mm-hmm. do you what do you do sit on the bonnet of your car well we um we actually set it up so we we backed the jeep in backwards. So we opted. We could have taken my truck or, or the Jeep. So we took her Jeep. Okay. So we just basically had the, um, we took the back, because we had the soft top on it. So we just took the back window thing off, put the gate down, and we just had cushions and basically made like recliners in the back of the Jeep. And we just kicked back like that. Other people, they had, um, either they were, and you had it every other spot. So some people were actually like in chairs in front of their cars, and there were other people that were like in there like, you know, minivans or whatever, and, and they did that and kind of sat in there. So it was, it was, and then people were kind of just walking around too and stuff. So even though, you know, so even if you weren't at your car, you were walking, you could still hear because everyone had their radios going. So you could all hear the, hear the was sound there, everywhere. Were, were there any fucking idiots playing Enter Sandman on their car stereo before it started? Surprisingly, no. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, yes, yeah, it was, it was actually even like, even Nick said, she's like, this is a weird crowd here. This is really, this is really different. The whole said, fucking thing is weird. But it was—it's it's completely new. But it's the un- thing that was different, though, too, because I looked and I said, you know, you're right. But I—I kind of thought that maybe what the difference is is that there were people there that were much older that would never go to a live show now, but they were perfectly comfortable showing up at a at a drive-in and you know being real comfortable and not waiting in lines and not having people jammed against them. Not standing. Not standing, like all this stuff. So there was was a pretty, you know, we had that and then there were people in front of us, like two cars that looked like dads who got the the pass to get out for the night and they had two carloads of kids with them, which was kind of like bloody hell. Like that's gonna, but, you know, so it, it ranged from that to like people that were, that were probably like a good 10, 15 years older than me that were there too. So it was, uh, it was a pretty varied crowd. Now, I'm trying to gauge how how big are the screens because you're talking about rows and rows of cars. So mm-hmm. if you're a little bit back, did you have a decent view of the screen? Like was the screen a decent size? Yeah. Was yeah. the sound good? Yeah, the sound was good because they broadcasted over the FM radio. Okay. So you just do it that way. It's and uh, so we just you know you just hear it over your radio and everyone's and you can everyone's got it going, so it's not a big deal. And they have two screens. And did it sync up though? Oh yeah, what perfect. was on the radio was you could see yeah, it, it yeah, was, perfect. wasn't a delay. Perfect. No, perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, they've been doing FM radio and drive-ins for years. Okay, so yeah, it was good to get out and you know see something and uh, and again because it was it was you know it's private property so it's you're sitting there actually having a beer in your car. They like, weren't selling merch, were they? No, all the, any of the merch was sold online, um, and they had three. Three shirts. I'll show you after. I got. Two. Oh, yeah, I was just going to ask you how many did you get. And uh, well, they had a white one and they had a black one. So I got Nick the white one because she's like, I'm not. She doesn't. I do the black. She does everything else. And um, and they so they just had like 
they had three shirts, and they had one that really they were, the two of them. They, they were I got those because they related directly to the event. They were you know this Pandemica drive-through event, and the other one was kind of this Metallica family one with kind of a demon head thing on it. That I was like, ah, that could be something that you had any any day. Mm-hmm. But I wanted the I wanted the event ones because it was something different. It may never happen again, kind of a thing. So I got those. I'll show you after. But they had those. They were they were available online before that, but there was no merch sold there at all. Okay. Tell me about what they played because I know when Metallica go out on tour that they change up the set list, but did they play anything that went, whoa, I didn't think they'd play that? No, there was nothing like that. It was more, it was a lot of the, the you know, there was through all the albums, but it was, it was all pretty, there was nothing that was, they were pulling out of their butts that was like, holy crap, they never play that. There was nothing like that. But what was cool was, especially with Kirk, is, um, he played a couple of instruments that he will never, ever take out on tour. He owns the Peter Green Les Paul. Yeah, he does. That's the one right. that Gary Moore had. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he owns that. He will never take that on the road. Wait, would he? But, He'd be an idiot to do but it. He, he pull, <laughs> but he pulled it out, and I was like, oh. And, and Nick was like, what? What's special about this car? I'm like, that's the Peter Green guitar. She's like, really? <laughs> And uh, he, so he played that for a couple songs. So there were a couple things like that. Like, again, you never see them that out on tour. So it was good to see it and hear it and, and everything else. Um, but, yeah, they didn't really. There was nothing they were pulling out that was, like, amazingly back catalog kind of thing. No. Okay. No. All right. Have but you, like I said, it was good. Have you got the S&M 2? Yes. I haven't got it. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think I, I – the orchestral stuff with Metallica, Yeah. I think it – some songs it works and some yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I've um, got, I mean, I thought Michael came and did a great job the first time. Uh, and yes, I've got over there, one of those that's over there is the big deluxe CD version of it. And I've got it on vinyl. Okay. And uh, I haven't heard it, listened to it yet. But yeah, I've, I've got it. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it is. Because I really did like SNM one Like I said, I thought Michael came and did a pretty good job of interpreting it. So now I'm very interested to see what, how a new person will interpret it because he was at least a little bit more familiar with what they were doing you know I like so I like some of the songs on the first one I think some of the faster songs there's no room for the orchestra mm-hmm. um, I know Outlaw Torn is on this one I believe and there's some songs that are on load and reload are on it yeah um, the slower songs mm-hmm. um, that have space in them yeah you can fit the orchestra in there sure fitting the orchestra in battery to me was like really yeah, well, but then again, you, I mean, hell, they did Deep Purple with an orchestra, and there's some fast stuff there, too, so yeah, what the heck? Not as fast as <laughs> no, no, I know, but still. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm interested, to, I'm interested to just kind of digest that, and just looking for a time where I can just kind of chill and listen to it, and I'll probably, I'll probably play the vinyl so I can just pour over everything as I'm listening to it, but yeah. Yeah, mm. so I've got the, yeah, I've got the, it's the CD, DVD one, so, yeah. You've got the, the, the deluxe, deluxe one. Yeah, yeah, what the, the hell? Usual. Yeah. Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth here. It is time to focus on metal. Right, so let's spend a couple of minutes before we talk to Michael. Um, Rust in Peace book just came out. Yeah. Dave Mustaine. Yeah. Um, you just got it. Yep. I got it on Saturday. Yep. And I read it in two days. It's a very, <laughs> very easy read. It's about 190 pages. Okay. Um, one thing I will say about it is it says, on, it's it's weird, but... It says it's Dave Mustaine with Joel Selvin on the cover. Uh-huh. And when you actually read the book, everybody's in it. Yeah. Except for Nick Menza. Yeah. And 
why has it been marketed as Dave, just Dave Mustaine? Because Ellison is in the book as much as mm-hmm. Mustaine is. Yeah. Um, it starts off pre-Rust and Peace. Yeah. So it, it has Chuck Beeler and Dave and Junior. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, it doesn't have Jeff Young. Um, and Mustaine actually says in the book that Jeff's a great guy and a great guitar player. And I'm thinking it would have been nice to have Jeff in it because Dave, Dave and Chuck were out of their fucking head on drugs, <laughs> the three of them. Yeah. Now, I don't know what Jeff was like, but it w- if he was s- more sober than those guys, yeah. it would have been nice to have his side of that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's not in the book at all. Huh. Um, there's a lot of drugs in it, a lot of re- I, la- rehab. I, I would imagine, yeah. In and out of rehab, yeah. back in rehab, <laughs> in and out of rehab. Um, Doc McGee took them on as manager. Yeah. And then they got fucked up again and he said, good luck. Yeah. Because he was dealing with fucking Motley and God knows who else. And yeah. I was like, I, I can't deal with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's well told. It, um, Rust in Peace era has got, there's a lot of Marty in it. Yeah. And there's a lot of back and, some back and forth in it between Marty and Dave. That Marty has one way of looking at it. And Dave has another way of looking and, at and it. And it's interesting because, and, and not that, um, not that I read Brave Words all the time, but um, since we, you know, we had Nick on a couple times, and you know, Nick was one of these artists that, um, when there was that whole, you know, reunion talk and all that, and that kind of fell apart, and people were shitting on Nick, and the fact that you know he contacted me and said, "Hey, you know, I trust you. Can I come on the show? Can I talk and stuff?" So I kind of had that rapport with Nick. So um, you know, when I heard that there was you know some some blurbs on there about. Uh, the whole reunion and all, you know, into this whole rust and peace thing. And that there was, you know, quotes from Marty and they were talking about Nick and all that. So I, you know, I, I popped on and read it and they, yeah, they just all kind of seemed to be, um, you know, Dave and Junior tended to kind of be shitting on Nick. Um, and it was almost like they positioned the, that kind of the, the mega death um, narrative on that to be like, oh, it's not coming from Dave. It's coming from Junior. And then you have this, and I don't know if you read the thing on Blair Bobbermouth or not, but, mm. and, but then, you know, then you have kind of the, what you just said was that now you have Marty with kind of a different view of, of what happened and what was said and where we were going and all that. So it's, it's interesting that that all kind of rolls out right about the same time this is rolling out as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's interesting that Nick's really like not represented in there at all because he definitely is, you know, he's a critical part of the band history. What, you, what I found reading this was... Ellison was definitely the more thoughtful guy. That he, he was, he thought about what he said before he said it. He was uh-huh. very. We've we've spoken to to Dave Ellison yep. a couple of times. Yep. You know, well spoken. Yeah. Well, you know, knowledgeable right. guy. And it comes out in in, in the two ag- books that he's yeah. put out as well. So it comes across the same way in this book. Yeah. Whereas Mustaine is more blunt. Yeah. For what, you know, I'm trying to think of a word. Blunt to be a word I'd use. Sure. Emotional. Sure. Yeah, um, even even when he's he's in the in the flying V doc as well, and um, yeah, he was probably the most blunt person in the flying V doc as well. And what's interesting is that um, all the interviews and stuff in this they're all done in black and white. And so when you get someone like Dave, for whatever reason, that black and white cinematography makes him seem 
even more blunt when he's talking. It's very, <laughs> in, it, it's very interesting. Yeah. So is Rust in Peace your favorite Megadeth record? Uh, it's, it is definitely up there. Um, it's probably between Rust and, and the other one that really hits me really, really hard is, is Euthanasia. Euthanasia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and for that, it's it's that one. The euthanasia is a total Nick thing. When that thing starts, and you all you hear is Nick's drums, and you're like, "Holy God!" Mm. That that that's that's what hooked me into euthanasia. But yeah, Rust in Peace is just um, yeah. It's always been a, a a massive album for me. Yeah, I love it, but I don't think it's my favorite. Again, we we spoke about this a few weeks ago when we did the Martin Birch thing. Yeah, I've got a mo- an emotional attachment to So Far So Good. So what? Uh huh. And when I heard Peace Cells the first time, I thought it was shit. Uh-huh. And then I stuck with it because Peace Cells sounded like nothing at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not, it didn't sound, really sound like Metallica or Anthrax or Slayer. Right. It was, it was so intricate. There mm-hmm. was so many time changes. But, every, every, but everything, everything in, in the Megadeth catalog, I mean, listen to Tornado of Souls and it's like, what the hell is this rhythm? It's, it's Dave, Dave like basically writes lead rhythms. And then he has another lead guitar player go up on top of him, mm-hmm. you know? But it breaks down the album really well. Yeah. Um, one of the things you find out the album, and Ellison says it, was uh, Ellison was in the studio for the record more than Mustaine was. Yeah. That Dave just was in and out of rehab. Yeah. He was yeah. fucked up on whatever drug he was on, and Ellison was more sober than he was. Uh-huh. So Dave... Mike Klink is, is interviewed as well in it. Yeah. And he's got Mike Klink's engineer. I can't, I can't think of his name. So he's in it as well. And Max Norman. Mm. So it's got everybody. And the, and the front cover of the book says Dave Mustaine with Joel Selvin. And I'm like... And it's interesting because, yeah, because just, you know, I ex- fully expected that I was going to read um, basically a companion book to Dave's autobiography with this book. And, yeah. You know, in, 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 in a way that how would Junior have his... And then he kind of had a companion one that, that filled in some other gaps and added some things. And I really thought that this was a, we're going to take a, a, a chunk of time that was in there that was a chapter. And we're going to flesh it out into a book because of the, the, the notoriety and, and of this album and the importance of this album. That's what I expected it to be. Yeah, but so it's it, interesting that it's not. It's not a Dave Mustaine book. Yeah. And it's been marketed as a Dave Mustaine book. Yeah. And he's in it, but everybody else is in it. Yeah. Um. So in a way, I like that, but in another way, I was, I'm, I'm disappointed because I really just kind of, I wanted to have, for whatever reason, I, and I, in my brain, I wanted to have a Dave Mustaine narrative completely on Rust in Peace. Mm. But did, this, I, I'm sure this will work for me too. Did you see that tour? I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I did. That was the show in Dublin. And I mentioned it on the show, and I've asked Ellison. That was the show in Dublin. The, the first one, one in Ireland. Off. The first one in Ireland yeah. that they played after the, the Antrim thing. Yep. Were, and that's covered in the book. Oh, okay. Um, and that was uh, Megadeth, The Almighty, Ricky Warwick, and mm-hmm. Alison Chain's opening. Um, they talk about that tour, actually. Um, and they do talk about the reunion. Mm. Um, they're very honest about Nick. Dave yeah. and Dave, that he was a bit fucked up and mm-hmm. he wasn't healthy enough, and and the mo- the money thing definitely comes into it. What one one thing I was I was scratching my head at, and I was like, 
to Dave and Dave, and I'm sure they got it, but I was like, do you not get it when you're bringing Marty and, and Nick back in the band? Yeah. It's a nostalgia thing. Yeah. That it's money. All they want to talk about is the money. Yeah. And I think they, Dave and Dave think that they were asking for too much money, Marty and Nick. Nick actually wanted more money than Ellison was on mm. in Megadeth at the time. Yeah. And it all came to a head because of money. And Marty even says it. Listen, it, I, it was all about the money. Yeah. Marty's yeah. very, very honest in it. Uh-huh. Um, it pisses off Mustaine with a few things. See, this the thing with albums like this, and Mustaine addresses it, that uh, he realised when they were nearing the completion of the, of the album that Ellison didn't have a co-write on any of the tracks. Uh-huh. And he normally did. So they, did, they wrote up Dawn Patrol. Yeah. And Ellison got his co-write. But then Marty starts talking about the contributions he made. Yeah. And Mustaine is like, I don't remember it that way. Because Mustaine is down as writing nearly the whole record. Sure, yeah. And Marty says, actually, no, we all got together in a room and David come in and then we'd add all our two cents to it. And I think this all boils down to the what's writing a song and what's arranging a song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely is. I mean, you can, it's, it's kind of interesting because I guess if you really listen, if you sit down and listen to it in that respect and go, okay, who did it? Dave has a certain style. And he's had it since Megadeth, um, since Metallica, sorry. So you listen to a lot of those rhythms and you're like, yeah, that's, um, you know, that's a Mustaine rhythm. And then you can hear, you know, there's things that, that Marty brings to the band. And you can hear it with, you know, even back to when he was in Hawaii, there's, there's, there's kind of a theme of Marty style as well. So you can kind of pick and you know, where these things come from. But Dave said it was the melody with Marty. Marty yeah. was great with the melody. Okay. So then that's not really so much the... I guess it goes back to where does the... Um, how many co-writes on the Black Sabbath albums does Ozzy have? You know, Tony wrote the music, Geezer wrote the lyrics. Van Halen as well. And, and, and really, Ozzy's the guy who... Did those odd the melodies came from Ozzy? That was like his his weird talent, as he could take Giza's lyrics and figure out how to make a melody out of it and put it over Tony's music. Yeah, you know. But is that is that a uh, is that a co-write? I mean, again, you know, there's there's only a few things within that whole Sabbath catalog that really you can point to, in uh, you know, like on you know National Acrobat, you can point to that and go, yeah, that Ozzy did that, you know. But it's not there's not a lot of them, mm. so. But, I don't know. I guess it depends on on where you uh, you know what you want to do. I I, I guess I kind of like some of the bands that that do say, hey, you know, we we all kind of we all contributed, we all pushed and pulled on this thing. So let's just make it that we all write it, you know, and do it that way. Because if you're really truly in a band situation, then you you all contribute in some in some way. And, and I, yeah, sometimes you get bands that someone just floats along, but usually people are all kind of pushing and pulling and contributing. Mm, but then it all comes down to money. Yeah. It, if one guy's writing all the music and he starts getting all the checks, uh-huh. the other guys will go over and say, hang on a second, how come he's getting a lot more than I am? Yeah. And then it's because uh, he writes all the music and then they say, well, I'm going to write music. I, I, I want to get paid uh-huh. too. And then that's where the friction starts. Sounds like the bad company interview we had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with Brian. With Brian, rest his soul. Yeah. Yeah. But um, enjoyable book. 
I'd love if they did it for some of the other records. They're probably not going to. Um, I don't know. If this sells enough, You, it might. It might. Um, a lot of contributions from the other folks. Yeah. As much as Dave. Yeah. Because, um, again, like I'd like, to, I'd like something like that then, very similar for a countdown. Yeah. And Dave needs to drop the Metallica thing. He mentions it a couple of times. Oh, never in the book. He compares himself to Metallica. And I'm like, we get it. Yeah, it'll never it. happen. It'll, it, it. I, I know it's given him a chip on his shoulder and uh-huh. it's probably motivated him, but, you know, it's... But it is, it is, it is it's interesting. 37 years ago, he left the band, or 38 well, years he ago. Didn't, he didn't leave the band. He was ejected well, from the band. <laughs> yeah, right, he was, but, yeah. But think about it. I mean, that for that original thing, a, a lot of that stuff that was brought in on that first album, it's, it's Dave's writing. Because when you, once he's out of there and... And now the next one they're writing, and they, yeah, you know, okay, they have a few bits and pieces that are contested that still came from Dave. Yeah. But as you go further along, that guitar influence that he had in the beginning stuff, it all disappears. And then you, and so you really hear like, oh yeah, that's a, that's that's a Mustaine song. Um, so you 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 know it does leave you wondering how would Metallica have fared if he had remained in the band? You know, probably cleaned up and they figured out how to get all their interpersonal stuff together but how would it, how would that have all run out and and how much differently would they have sounded and and uh because he definitely i think he had that influence in there he should be proud of that um but i mean there's i mean there is a certain point though where you go yeah all right they clear up and and if he and if he had become if he'd come to not then i could see having a bigger chip on his shoulder but the fact is is that he he built a brand it's almost as big. Oh, yeah. I prefer, you know? I prefer Megadeth to Metallica. Yeah. I think they've consistently put out better records. Yeah. They, they haven't sold, they've sold anywhere near as many. Yep. But I'll, if I'm going to go for a Metallica or a Megadeth album, yeah. nine, nine times out of ten, I'll probably listen to Megadeth before I would Metallica. Yeah. Probably because I've, I've played the shit out of the Metallica stuff. Sure. But I, d- I don't know, Megadeth, I just get more out of Megadeth, listen to Megadeth now than Metallica. And uh-huh. I love both bands. Yeah. But um, the other thing that they do clear up in the book is um, they talk about Chris Broderick and um, Sean Drover leaving the band. Ah. Oh. Because that was all the rust in peace. Uh-huh. Nick and Marty coming back. And yeah. they were going to try and keep Sean and Chris on a retainer for a while until they did the tour. Yeah. That they wanted to do like the Kiss Unplugged thing. Uh-huh. And, and <laughs> Sean and Chris just basically stuck their middle finger up and said, well, fuck that. Yeah. And that's too bad because, I mean... You know, Sean was a huge part of coalescing that band back together. Well, he, and, he talk, and Dave talks and about motivating. He was really he was the yeah. I mean, he was, but he was the partner with Dave when Dave didn't have Junior. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So he was a really important cornerstone in that band. And then Chris is just you know he just slotted in there so well, massive player, and he was a, a really huge champion of the band. They both were. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of almost like you, you then again had the new classic lineup where you had Sean, you had Chris, you had Junior back, you had Dave. What more could a Metallica, a, a Megadeth fan want than that? You know what I mean? Um, because now for a lot of, a lot of people, you say, well, who's in Megadeth today? And most people go, um, Dave, Dave. And then they, Maybe Kiko. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe Kiko because he's been in there for for enough time. But it's like, you know, someone's going to go with the Adler guy. No, he's not with them anymore. Like it's, you know, it's. Um, yeah, but this 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 the question I think I posed to you. How many, many? Which band has had more members? Uh huh. Right, Anthrax, Slayer, and Metallica combined, or Megadeth? Yeah. And it's a lot closer than you think. Especially the guitar seat. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, good, re- very good read. Yeah, I'm re- looking really forward good. to it. Yeah. Um, it's not a mistake book, though. Yeah, that's and all right. I, I know. I I know he's doing all the interviews on it, but um, wow, it'd be nice to get Marty on. <laughs> but Marty doesn't really talk. I don't think he wants to really talk much about Megadeth anymore. Probably not. I mean, he's got his own career. He's been doing, you know, great stuff. He's yeah. he's he's pretty. I mean, he's got a huge career just even outside of of metal. So. Um, you know, kudos to him. He's 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 done great for himself. You yeah. know, and he still tours here whenever he can. I think he was here about two years ago, something like that. I yeah, I think he was planning on coming this year, and then in, well, everyone was planning yeah, on coming I know. this year. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. I know. We were looking really. This was we had so many tickets this year for concerts that I mean that's one thing that we we you know we love to do is just go is go to concerts and and you know. Nick's kind of like, I used to love going with my daughter, Hunter. We were kind of like that. She was a perfect concert partner, you know, but now it's like, you know, she's got her own life. And, but now I got this like brand new concert partner. That's awesome. You know? So it's, and we, yeah, we had tickets for freaking everything. And now it's waiting to see about, you know, what's going to get rescheduled. So like Symphony X, Primal Fear got next rescheduled year. for May of next year, next but now year. I don't know. Everybody's next Like, year. you know, are, are they going to reschedule the Crocus final tour or not? You know, we had that one. Um, you know, the Sammy Hagar one. You're going to you're, that I tell one. you where you're going to get. You're end up. You're going to get fucked in the wallet. That's number one. You're going to get fucked in the scheduling as well. Yeah. You're guaranteed that there's going to be so many gigs next year that there's going to be two or three gigs on in the same night. Yeah. And you can't go to them all. Yeah. Or what'll happen is you'll have a ticket to a gig next year, and then a gig from a band you like more will it be announced on the same night, and you're like. Mm, I've been sitting on the, this yeah. money for a year for this this gig. Yeah. Well, I'd swallow that now and and yeah. So it's going to be some hard decisions, one. and and I think if the show run goes to plan, um, we should have uh, a good ticket insider on next week talking about a lot of that as well, and then kind of just because if you're thinking about exactly what Richie was just talking about, because a lot of venues are coming up with. Tell us, well, you're you're good with the new date. Hang on your tickets. You're good. Or hey, I'll take a I'll take a voucher. Give me a credit for the venue, or give me my money back. And that's going to be a what level you can you can accept. Give for me risk. your money back's the last thing they want to do. And and you know, and I think when you hear what what our our insider talks about is that to do that, if everybody does that, you're going to cave the venues. Yeah. So it's so again and and again, it's it's your own personal. What your uh, you, what your ability of risk is, and and if you think you're you're cool and you can deal with, you might take a couple of strikes, you know, and, and you can balance that against trying to keep venues open. Then you know maybe do that, but uh, hopefully that's what we're going to be running next week. But this week we have uh, on once again. I can't even remember how many times we've had this guy on, no, but he I'd always say, does good. I'd say ten. I, I wasn't sure. I was going to actually go back through all the episodes well, he's, he's to try so to figure it out. Good records. Yeah, I'm, I nearly have him on twice a year at this stage. Is uh, is uh, is Michael Sweet, mm-hmm. and he is in new. Uh, he's going to be talking all about the uh, 
we can't really call it a brand new Striper album now because it's been out for a while. In fact, it was out before it was officially out. And Richie talks to him about that as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you say we uh, we go and turn it over and talk to Michael? Sure. Hello. So Michael. Yes. Michael, it's Richie for here for the interview. How are you doing? Hey, Richie. Good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, nice to talk to you again. Um, how's everything down in Plymouth? Has it been a little bit quieter this summer? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little more quiet. Uh, I mean, in terms of day-to-day life here in Plymouth, yes. In terms of my world, my life, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like I've been busier than ever. I mean, just almost more busy. Uh, we've been doing so much stuff over the past uh, six months. It's just insane. Oh, oh. Now... I know you're doing a thing this Friday. Uh, I believe it's Thursday and Friday that you've got fans that can listen to you with the record, and you've got all these other ideas that are been thrown that you're throwing around there. How difficult has it been to do all of that? Because when this pandemic started, one of the novelties for me was seeing all these musicians. They were doing all these quarantine videos where they'd all do separate sections of songs and 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 play them all cover tunes but that kind right. of that kind of idea got old very quickly and is it yeah. tu- is it tough is it tough to come up with um with like new ideas to get people's interest yeah and, and i mean that's why we didn't jump on that bandwagon and it's not to uh belittle or disrespect those bands that did that everyone was trying to figure out a way to survive and and continue doing what they love to do. But we didn't do that. We didn't start doing the streaming, uh, you know, shows and songs. We tried to stay away from that because everyone and his brother was doing it. Not only were they doing it, but nine times out of 10, they weren't done very well. You know, it was poor quality video or audio or both. So we really try to stay away from that. Uh, One thing that we were very fortunate to have is we, it just so happens that we booked a new album uh, in January and then the pandemic started, uh, you know, spreading, taking effect and becoming more serious. And we were into an album already. So we finished the album and we were, we were a very fortunate band to be able to get our album done and get it uh, in the system uh, to be released. So, you know, that worked out for us. And instead of doing the live streaming shows, what we decided to do was we flew the band out here and we quarantined for a few weeks, sprayed them down before they came in the house, they washed their clothes, they showered. You know, we did all the stuff that's required. And they came here and stayed at the house and we rehearsed and then we went into the studio at Spirit House with seven cameras and pro audio, just as we record an album. And we recorded two full albums in their entirety being Even the Devil Believes and No More Hell to Pay from start to finish. Uh, And it it was really cool, man. And what that's going to do is it's live. It's totally live. But we were able to dial in the audio and the video. Mm. So mm. when people hear it and watch it, it's really great quality. Mm. Now, why why did you do No More Hell to Pay? Well, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, we didn't do No More Hell to Pay. Sorry, we did To Hell with the Devil. Did I say No More Hell to Pay? Yeah, you, you did. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did Even the Devil Believes, so the new album, and that's going to be the first one to come out uh, to promote 
the album, obviously, and, and it's really going to probably be the only time people will be able to see and hear us perform that album live from start to finish. Mm. It, it'll never happen again, ever. And then we thought we decided to do an old classic, and we did "To Hell with the Devil." Sorry, not "No More Hell to Pay." "To Hell with the Devil." Oh, and oh. the reason why we chose that album, two reasons, is we performed it in Japan uh, not long ago, and it went over really well. It was a great, great thing. We loved it, and it's our biggest selling, most classic album of of all time in the entire catalog. Yeah. Now, Michael, when exactly did you record? Even the devil believes. Was it recorded before the pandemic or during it? Both. So we started, I started writing it in December of 2019. The guys came out here early January of 2020. And we did pre-production and we started recording it mid-January of 2020. Uh, and we finished the basic tracking by February 1st or 2nd. So by that point... In time, that's when we really started hearing about the first cases in the U.S. and, you know, the fear of flying and uh, everyone kind of starting to go into some sort of panic mode. And uh, and then by the time we got back from Mexico, uh, by the end of February, it was a full-blown pandemic. Oh. Now, now there's came home, I came home and started recording vocals. You know, I just continued doing what I always did in, in lockdown. Lockdown didn't stop me from doing what is normal life around the sweet household. You know, I just kept recording. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of artists are out there and they've delayed their, their release date of the album, of their new albums. Was that something that you had a choice in doing? Yeah, you know, we didn't really have a choice. That was up to the label. We turned it in on time. As a matter of fact, I think we turned it in early. Uh, and a few weeks early and the label decided to put it out and release it early. It wasn't scheduled for release until October. Okay. So they decided to release it September 4th. And we thought, Oh, that was a surprise to us because we thought for sure the pandemic was going to delay the release. It did not. Okay. Now the day I'm talking to you, the 1st of September, it's not you out until the 4th. Do you know that a lot of your fans already have the physical album? I know. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. And, and I think that's due in part to the pandemic because uh, the mail, uh, as we all know, Amazon and mail and whatnot is a little slower than normal. And we thought, well, we better make sure that it, they don't get, we'd rather them get it early than get it late. Definitely. Definitely. And so, uh, you know, un unfortunately, they did get it early, quite a bit early, some of our fans, and, and that's just, there's nothing we could do about it, you know. Um, it, it's just the way it worked out. But, you know, hopefully everyone's enjoying it and, and kind of getting what we've seen for the past uh, three or four months, which is, you know, we really believe this to be our best album, you know. And it, when you say stuff like that, fans roll up their sleeves and want to get out with you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but why isn't it? I mean, I'd love for, I'd love to debate any fan out there to tell me why it's not. Yeah. Now I, I've heard the album, but I don't actually have the physical copy, but I have seen pictures of it. Um, the album cover and the packaging. Do, do you get involved in, in that or do, do you just stick to the music? Oh, no, no, no. I get involved, very heavily involved in that. Uh, the thing is about like the packaging and the artwork, what happens is 
I'll write a song and uh, we or write the album and then we we pick the best potential title track in this case being even the devil believes and we all felt like yeah that's great and then when i when i had the idea of the imagery portraying the devil kneeling before god everyone said oh yeah well that's perfect that's great and we went with it oh and and then we kind of my wife lisa and myself sat at a computer and we kind of laid out what we were thinking she was more detailed about it than i was you know pulling all the little images from the bible and everything and she really got into it which is really cool and we sent that off to the artist stan decker and then he created what you see i i think michael your last four album covers since no more hell to pay are, are they're very striking they're really really well done they're you know, they really do stand out when you match them up against the artwork you had earlier in your career. Well, you know, I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I agree. Uh, you know, and a lot of people would say that To Hell with the Devil is our best uh, uh, album cover. But, you know, when I compare To Hell with the Devil to uh, the new album covers, I just feel like we've surpassed that. Hmm. Uh, with the quality and the power of the images on all all the albums, I mean, I, I mean, I'm referring to No More Hell to Pay, Fallen, Goddamn Evil, and even more so, especially even The Devil Believes, uh, and that's due to the creative ideas that are going into it. That's due to the talents of Stan Decker, who does has done all four of those albums I just mentioned, uh, album covers, and we really have a great team place and that's from our lyric videos wayne joiner to our our album covers stan decker to engineer danny bernini to our studio spirit house uh, paul mcnamara thing that we're doing now and, and everything that we have in place we have such an amazing team and we're going out there on the field and we're really hitting home runs you know and just knocking it out of the park and everybody's doing such a great job and we're so pleased with that with the fact that that's happening it's really cool yeah now the last album goddamn evil you got a lot of attention because of the album title did it get tiring doing interviews and i even asked you about it as well uh, explaining <laughs> the album title and is did you deliberately not try and choose a controversial album title for this one because of it well, we, first of all, we never deliberately try to choose controversial album titles. Believe it or not, people think we do. They think we're all about just trying to be controversial and, and trying to uh, turn heads. We're really not. We are about making people think in a logical uh, and sensible way. It's not just about, hey, let's just call the album Goddamn Evil just so people can go, what? You know, it, that's not how it works. But this album, Even the Devil Believes, yes, we did purposely choose an album title that wasn't or would not be so controversial. Okay. You know, uh, and, and because we we took so much flack for the title. Yeah. And we lost we lost some fans. And uh, people wrote to us and said, we're no longer a fan. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm just thinking, wow, okay, even though you read the lyric, you know what we're saying, you know what we mean, you're not a fan anymore. It kind of blew my mind and very, it very much so surprised me. But, you know, you can't, you can't please everybody. 
We stand by that album. We stand by that title. One million percent. Oh. We would not go back and change a thing ever. But that being said, we were a little more cautious with this album uh, title uh, this time around. Okay. Now the song you you recorded for this from 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 the past. I I don't know which song it is, but I'm going to guess is it invitation only. It is. You are correct. It's it's, and it's not. It's go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it sounds like something around um, '88 in God We Trust era. Well, you know what? I tell you what. It was written in '89, so you're almost right. And uh, it was actually recorded the music only for Against the Law. Okay. Now, it was a little different version. It didn't have the keyboards, you know. Uh, it was a little more, it was more Panama-ish. It started with the dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum and Tom, so it was very much more Panama-sounding, like from Van Halen. Uh, this On this version, we took it a little bit more in the less Panama-sounding uh, direction and added even a little bit more 80s flair to it purposely. Mm, it sounds and, like uh, Yeah, we did that. We did that on purpose. And the reason why we did that is I can't tell you how many times we've had fans say, give us something that's more poppy right out of the 80s. I mean, over and over and over again. So we just said, all right, that's it. Here you go. Um, <laughs> and we gave him that song, which is now if anyone argues like, well, yeah, it kind of sounds 80s, but that's still not what I'm talking about. I can say, well, what do you mean? That that song was written in 89. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, how often do you go back to the well and look at older ideas? Like, is there a lot of completed songs from back then that have never been released? No. No, I mean, I do on occasion uh, it, it go back to the well and, and, and go back and pull something off of the shelf that's been sitting on that shelf for years. It, you know, there are some uh, cases over the past few years, like, for example, Marching Into Battle. That That's an old song. That was pre-Striper. Okay. That was an old song that was written uh, when I was, believe it or not, 17 years old. And uh, it, we used to play it out at Gazzari's all the time when we were a trio. We were called Rocks and then Rocks Regime. We played Marching in the Battle. It was a staple in our set. And it had different lyrics, but it was the same music and same kind of uh, uh, feel. And then I decided to pull that out. I always thought it was a great song, you know? And then you got a song like Invitation Only. Uh, that we did the same thing with. Uh, there are a few other songs uh, that I think are worthy of being pulled out at some point and dusted off and, and recorded. Uh, There's a lot of songs that I wrote when I was younger. Uh, I wrote a song called Stranded. It's really cool. Uh, My Love I'll Always Show was another song, the heavy version of that, that was... Uh, a song that we used to do back in the uh, you know early eighties, hmm. free stripers. Michael, you can correct me, but I don't think your back catalog from the eighties has ever been remastered with bonus tracks, has it? Uh, it I did a re-release of "Tell with the Devil" remastered limited uh, edition. Okay, about maybe maybe I want to say twenty, maybe not quite twenty years ago. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, actually it was about 20 years ago. And, but it, all the other albums have not been. And the reason why we've kind of come up against that wall is because those albums have been controlled and owned by Disney, by Hollywood Records. Okay. And that's why we did the second coming. We re-recorded those songs, so we'd have some control over those songs. Uh, and we're going to do the same. We're going to do another second coming, and then eventually these albums are starting to revert back to us. Nice. Um, so once we get full ownership of those, we plan on re-releasing those uh, remastered with uh, not just a bonus track, but a new track. Okay. Going in the studio and remastering, say, like uh, Against the Law and adding a new song to it. Nice. Nice. I just got a couple, yeah. of, I just got a couple of questions, Michael, before I leave you go. Um, yeah, man. Meet and greets. A lot of bands rely on them now to break even on the road. It has to be something you guys have sat down and talked about how you're going to handle them when you actually do go out and play shows. Yeah, it's that's a that's a real slippery slope, man. I mean, uh, it, it, a lot of fans don't like meet and greets. The fact that bands charge for for the fans to meet them, but you know, in today's world, bands don't have a choice. Yeah, they just don't. I mean, a lot of times the meet and greets literally are what save you. Uh, from going under on a, on a tour, especially huh. you'll look at the end of the tour. And if you're t 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 or a hundred thousand in the hole for a band like us, you know, the meet and greets pull us out of that hole, literally. Uh, and we, we're, we've always been a band that's always tried to, and gone out of our way to be very fair. We don't overcharge for our meet and greets. We always try to give fans uh, a very worthy meet and greet experience and give them the most bang for their buck uh, and keep the prices low, under 100 bucks. And then you've got other bands like Bon Jovi charging three and $4,000 for a meet and greet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's crazy. And sometimes, sometimes you don't even meet the band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's silliness and I'm not judging Bon Jovi. They do what they need to do. It's their business. They're right. But we always try to be fair and give the most, uh, for their money. Uh, and you know, we're doing like a live coming up. We're doing a live listening parties actually on Friday and Saturday. And then again on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, and we're only charging seven bucks, seven dollars yeah. and 77 cents. At, I, I, say, I shared your post on social media. I was like, that's an amazing deal. Well, I mean, but you know what? We're going to have people that complain. <laughs> I don't you know why? It. You know why? Because we live in a world that complains. Yeah, they want it for free. They want everything for free. We, we're literally taught to complain. Yeah, it's true. It's insane. And, uh, you know, they can't get it for free and they're never going to get it for free. Not from us, because we not only is this a, a, a band and or a ministry, but it's a it's a business. It's a brand. And, you know, this is how we survive. This is how we pay our bills. And, you know, if they would rather we give it to them for free and then we close shop and we go get jobs at McDonald's, we'll gladly do that for them. Oh. I don't want we could, you. To, we could arrange that real fast. No, I, I don't want you to do that, Michael. I want you to keep bringing. <laughs> I want you to keep bringing albums out. So, I, I, I just have one or two questions for you. Sure. Um, how frustrating was it to have to can, to reschedule the, the, your solo tour with Tony Harnell? Because I've spoken to you seven or eight times, and you've been dying to go out and play your solo stuff live for years. Yeah, I have been. 
you know, it, it's one of those things. I just gotta, I, I gotta always stay humble and remind myself that Striper takes precedence, you know, as it should, huh. you know, Striper, Striper's the priority. And, uh, I would never want that to change. I, I would never want the solo tour to take priority. I didn't want the Boston tour to take priority. That's why I left Boston. Okay. And I've had people say, what are you nuts? Are you, are you on drugs? What's wrong with your mind, man? You left Boston and I left Boston because it started taking precedence over Striper and Striper's Striper's my baby band. It's, it's the priority. So, you know, if there's a time when Tony and I can go out and do this tour and it doesn't affect or take away from Striper, then it's going to happen. Uh, and obviously the pandemic changed everything. Yeah. It would have happened already had it not been for the pandemic. That would have been at one of the shows. <laughs> yeah, it would have been it would have been phenomenal, man. And you know, it's sad because there's so many great solo songs. And that's not a that's not a disrespect or slap in the face to Striper, but it's just there are. There there's some great solo songs. And I feel like I released one of my best albums or even a few of my best albums with one sided war in ten. Yep. Every, every bit as good as Striper. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, they've never seen the light of day, sadly. And, uh, you know, hopefully someday they will. Yeah. Now, Michael, are you still going to do that project you were talking about with Joel Hoekstra? Oh, man, I know. I've been talking about that maybe for five or six years now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I figure it's every... insane. It actually is on paper now. We're going to do it. It's going to be in a little different form. So it's not just going to be me singing and and me playing and Joel playing. It, it's going to be Joel, myself, uh, and then another singer uh, by the name of Nathan James. Oh, from uh, Inglorious, the English yes. band. Yeah, he's a brilliant yes. singer. Yeah, but, brilliant. So it's going to be the three of us doing something, and we're going to get a really great rhythm section, and we're actually doing the paperwork now, and we're going to start on that next year. Uh, so everyone can expect that. It's going to be great, man. It's going to be oh. awesome. Final question, Michael. And I've spoken to you about your guitar playing in the past, and I've read your book. And one of the things you said in the book was, everyone always thought that Oz did the guitar solos and you did half them. And that got me thinking about a question I never asked you. Why did you never put in, in the, the CD booklets who played the solos like Judas Priest did in theirs? It was more just, uh, I think we may have on one or two of the CDs. I don't even recall, but most of them we did. And it was more of a, a matter of just being, you know, trying to be humble, like who cares, you yeah. know? And, and when I fight for guitar recognition, I think people uh, misinterpret uh, that as me be, being ego, an egomaniac. And, and I want the credit. It's not about the credit. It's really not. Uh, it's more about the work. Yeah. It's more about creating the art and spending hours, just as much time as Oz, if not more, working on guitar solos and then people saying, oh, man, that solo Oz did was great. And and I'm kind of in the back corner thinking, not saying, well, I did that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you have, you have to always be humble. And I really do... Uh, want to be humble. I, I, I'm a humble guy. I don't, I don't want to, you know, 
rob joy from people or anything. And if people think Oz played it, so be it. That's fine. It, it, does it matter at the end of the day? No, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. What, what? I just, all that matters to me is that people enjoy it. If they like the solo, you know, and they like the album, then that's, that's what matters to me. If they think Oz played it, great. If they think I played it, whatever. Uh, but I'm a guitar player first. I'm not a very good guitar player, but I'm a guitar player. And I, I, I've, I've worked hard at it over the years. And I, I started playing guitar before I started singing. And, and, and still to this day, many fans don't even know that I play guitar. Mm. Well, Michael, keep the albums coming and I'll keep helping to promote them. I think this new album is excellent. You're, you've been so prolific in the last couple of years and all your albums have all been great. Well, buddy, you, you are always so kind. I appreciate that so much, more than you know. Mm. And I'm glad that you enjoy it, man. Uh, and hopefully we can make a few more people enjoy it before we, we leave this earth. Mm. So do you want to give out any of the social media sites where people can buy the album or get in touch with the band? Yeah, well, they can get it anywhere that sells music, you know, all the all the outlets, iTunes and Amazon and any local shops that are still open. And then uh, obviously through striper.com. Um, it'll be available at michaelsweet.com as well. We're all over Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter, of course, Striper and Michael Sweet. We're pretty active on social media, and uh, hopefully we brighten someone's day and make them laugh a little bit, you know? Mm. Well, Michael, always a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, brother, you too, man. You you please stay there, and I can't wait uh, for that day when I see you up close and personal and shake your hand. All right, Michael, take care. Okay, man, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Great job again with Michael as well. And uh, he's always a great talk to anyways, you know, whether we do it in person or or over the phone, he's really good. Album's pretty good too. It is good. There is a definite 80s bent to it. It's heavy. And there's a, some are heavy, some aren't. Um, And then there's also a few things where I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That sounds like a Dawkins song. That riff is oh the whole that whole verse riff is docking and then then the chorus comes in and goes okay now that part's not docking and goes back and there's a few songs like that where I'm just like wait a minute hey wait a minute it's and I start singing the words to the other song and go yeah it's it's that song so but so there is some definite um there's some really there's some good songs on there that I that uh, I like some of them heavy you got some stuff that's kind of got snaky feeling as well but uh, overall pretty good album mm-hmm. yeah yeah well. I think he's got he's more projects coming up next year. Kind he does. I bumps. mean, they finally let the news out about the whole. I mean, he he talks about it with you, but even uh, Joel rolled it out today. The the whole project with uh, him and Nathan, yeah, and uh, and Michael. So, and he's I think he's talking about doing another Sweet Lynch album. Well, we'll see how that goes. I but I think about a week ago I was listening to the shit out of uh, Sweet Lynch Unified, uh-huh. the second album. Yeah, Jeez, some great songs on that. Uh huh. I know a lot of people were disappointed with it compared to the first yeah. one. Yeah, and we've talked to him, too, about the fact of, of his disappointment of not being able to get that album toured, that he really wanted to roll that out live. Well, not this year, anyway. No, no. <laughs> I don't think, I, actually, I mean, with the million things that George does, yeah, I, I really don't think it's going to They'll never play happen. that live, yeah. because they'll end up playing most of the songs from their own bigger uh-huh. bands yeah. it, it, it just won't fly the right. promoters are not going to book well, that's Sweet the thing, right? you're going to have, gonna have people that are there to see George right? and you're going to have people there to see Michael and they're almost two different audiences but the weird thing is is, you're, is that the minority of people that are going to be there are people that are there to, to actually hear Sweet Lynch 
songs live. Well, look, 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 look at George's other band, End Machine. Uh huh. And I think I, I spoke to Jeff Pilson about this. But End Machine is like a step songs, away from Dokken. But they played five songs off the album. Yeah. And then the rest of them were Dokken songs. Uh huh. Um, and Lynch Mob songs. Yeah. But it really is. It's, it's, that's like, it's, it's, that's really just a step off the curb from Dokken. No, I know. You know what I mean? No, I know. It, it had Mick Brown on the album. I know he didn't play at the show. Yeah. But, um, and he's not going to be playing on the next record either because he's uh, huh. retired. Huh. He's no longer wild. He's not. <laughs> he's, he's, probably, he's probably more wild now. It's just no one knows. <laughs> he's in his mid-60s, for God's sake. Can't he can't retire. He's going to have no one to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> one, hands down, one of the best interviews I've ever done. Oh, yeah. Like, you just, hey, Mick, how's it going? Uh-huh. And then you just he just talks, yeah, and he's brutally honest, and he, and he was great. I'm actually sorry he gave up drumming. He's a great drummer, yeah, too yeah. underrated. Yeah, no, he's good. He's good. All right, so like I said, hopefully next week uh, we're gonna have our industry insider in, and uh, Richie's got a long chat with him on that. So maybe that'll give you some insight to where your ticket dollars go and help you make some decisions about the conundrum Richie's talking about with with rescheduled shows and. Um, you know, he's got all a bunch of new stuff that's that's coming up as well. Lots of stuff in the works, but uh, yeah, good to have you come come down again mm. in the studio. Fire the equipment up, get going, and uh, did you hear, do oh, another episode. Did you, did you hear up and back? Did you get any feedback about the Martin Birch thing? No, I, I no. had a couple of people. Did you, you didn't put Rising in. You didn't put in <laughs> Rising. Fuck's sake, Richie, you left out Rising. Uh, and then of course other guys were like. No, not for the beast. Uh-uh. Jesus, it's only my opinion. Yeah. It's not that I hate those other records. Right. I love them all. I just picked these ones. Sure. Yeah, and we <laughs> gave our reasons for why we picked what we picked. I mean, you can't, it wasn't a top 20. It was, you know, so, uh, yeah, it, I mean, that that is what it is. But, uh, yeah, but it's good. You know, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again uh, next week. Uh, but until then, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself and me. Have yourselves a great metal week. Stay safe. And like always, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.